Our passage comes from John chapter 12, verse 44 through verse 50. That's John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 44 through verse 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. Um, my name is Tad. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa. Um, it's a joy to be with you this morning. A lot's changed since the last time I've been up here. Uh, this, this is one of them. Um, I, I didn't need these last time I was up here. Um, the good news is, is I can see my papers. We'll, it'll, it remains to be seen whether it's good that I just can't see you. So, um, so I'll, I may be doing some of this as I, as I go through here. Um, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I... Um, Father, I love you, um, and I, I thank you for allowing us to gather here in, in your name here today. Father, I pray that um, I know that you have prepared my heart, um, and Lord, I know you desire to speak here today. So Lord, let uh, help me to be obedient to say the words that you have given me, much as you did with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that you may be glorified and Lord, that we may um, be drawn near to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're preaching out of um, John 12 today, but I really want to start with, with John 1 1, because it, it, it set up the book really well. Um, and it, it's going to frame a lot of the conversation here today. Uh, it's a very familiar passage to most of you, probably. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, obviously, there's a reason why uh, John starts with that, because it, it, it points us immediately to Jesus, and that's what this is all about. Um, in our passage today, um, we, we've seen a lot as we've gone through the book of John. We've been in it for a while. Um, we've taken a few breaks and, and um, you know, spent some time on some things that, that were really important to, to our body but some of the things we've seen as we've gone through the book of John, um, we've seen Jesus' miracles. Um, we've seen the works of his hand. Uh, we have seen um, him raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, we've seen him speak in uh, particularly unimaginable ways where his, his people were wondering, Lord, when are you going to step forward? And he does it in a way that he didn't expect. Um, we've seen Jesus predict his own death. Um, and yet, despite all the miracles, despite all that he's done, despite um, what he's given them of himself, they still don't believe. 
And so as we come to the, the end of chapter, John, uh, chapter 12 of John, um, I want to read that again. And it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in, in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but the, wor- the, word, the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Take special note of that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as himself has himself given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. At this point in the book of John, um, Jesus is is really wrapping up his public ministry. Um, Chapters 13 to 17 will go on to to recount the time that he spends with the disciples leading up to his um, crucifixion, uh, death, burial, and and resurrection. Um, But but in his final public comments, Jesus is ultimately putting a bow on, on his public ministry. His points of emphasis at this point are not new. Um, they would have been shockingly familiar to, to anyone who had followed Jesus around, most certainly his disciples. Um, he, he's not plowing new ground here. Uh, a, a short summary of, of this, this final message um, could, could possibly be described in, in these six phrases. Jesus was sent by the Father. To, to see the Son is ultimately to see the Father. Jesus is the light of the world, the only name by which a man is saved. His words, Jesus' words, are ultimately God's words. Faith in Jesus leads to salvation. And then finally, rejecting his word leads to judgment. End of sermon. Let's go to lunch. Um, unfortunately for my beating heart, that's, that's not where we're going. Um, but we have plenty of ground to cover here. Um, there is, it really isn't a whole lot new in this text. So, so if these are the final words of Jesus in his public ministry, it must mean that there's something important here. If he chose to, to ultimately repeat himself here at the end, um, it means we've got to really pay attention to what he's saying here. So let's dig in a little bit. And for the next few minutes, uh, we'll spend kind of picking out some of the things that, that Jesus is ultimately trying to say here. Verse 44, 45, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Verse 45 is, is a common theme here throughout much of the gospel books, and John is no exception. Um, we, we see this theme throughout Scripture. Um, John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 8.58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly. And anytime you see truly, truly, um, King James, I believe, is verily, verily. 
Anytime you see that truly, truly, that's, that's where we really ought to pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Um, and for this, we know that they wanted to stone him for that because at that point in time, he's, Jesus is really proclaiming his deity. He, he is saying, I am God. You can cross-reference this um, in, in the Old Testament with Exodus 3.14 where, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh, um, which, which is huge Old Testament significance. Um, again, you can go in, into the New Testament where Jesus again repeats the same theme. Whoever receives me, or whoever receives you, he's talking to the disciples here, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Matthew 10.40. Jesus is pointing to his deity there. He's establishing the, the basis with which all of the gospel rests on. If Jesus is not, in fact, God incarnate, if he's not who he says he is, then the gospel itself falls flat. Jesus is ultimately kind of saying here, I'm a big deal. You need to pay attention to me. The gospel begins to come real, become real as we submit the deity of Christ. Without it, it lacks power. We see this in, in John 1, 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the, the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. See, this is why Jesus once again hammers home this point, is to establish his authority and the basis of which all of the other things that he's going to say are, are based on. And ultimately, Jesus knew this was going to be difficult for he and, and his disciples and, and, and the Jews to, to really understand and, and ultimately accept you see this in conversations throughout the, the gospel chapters. Um, and, and I'll point you in, a, and we're not going to go to these verses, but I'll point you in a, to a few of them. Matthew 16, 13. Uh, Mark 8, 27. Um, and then verse 29, where he asked Peter, who, who do you say I am? Um, and then again, to some of his other followers, John 14, verses uh, 9 through 10. Jesus asking them, who are the people saying I am? Who do you say I am? And if what Jesus is saying is true, and if what Colossians 2.9 says is true, and I'll read that here, it's where it says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if that's true, it means we really need to pay attention. If Jesus really is who he says he was, then one question demands an answer, and it's unavoidable. It's what are you going to do with Jesus? We've heard Randy say this, uh, ask this question before um, from this very pulpit, um, but it's perhaps the most critical question, and I'll take that back. It's not perhaps. It is the most critical question any of us will ever answer in our lives. And answer it you will whether you choose to or not. See, there's, there's, we're all coming to a point where we will bow the knee to King Jesus. Some of us, as 
Lord and Savior, proclaiming His glory, praising His name. Unfortunately, others, it'll be as judge and executioner. Scripture also teaches us that the, the timeline to make these decisions uh, is ultimately limited. You see, our days here on earth are numbered. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. See, Job there is referencing our limited time here on earth. Uh, More evidence of this can be found. Um, We're not going to read this verse, but put it in your margins there. More evidence of this is in Psalms 139.16. Because of this, each of us has a finite amount of time that we can answer that question. What am I going to do with Jesus? And the question's answered by both ultimately Christian and the secular person. And in my estimation, the the Christian can answer this one of two ways. Either he's on fire for the Lord. The Lord has his full attention. My life is complete because he is my everything. My Savior, my Redeemer. And if that's you here today, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, my life represents something different. Praise God. We need more of you. But I think perhaps a more common response, if we're being honest, is something like what's described in Revelations 3, verses 16 through 22. Where Jesus is is speaking to the church in Laodicea. He says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Other translations say spew. Even worse, others say vomit. It's humbling to think the Lord might see our faith that way. goes on to say, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from, from me the rich, or for, from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That verse where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. You hear that, at least in my estimation, I've heard that more in reference to, to a non-believer. Um, it's, it's something that you know, we whip out and, and, and say to them, Jesus is coming after you. Uh, but in this instance, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who 
say they're believers. Uh, in this first three chapters of Revelation, um, God's speaking to John through, through special revelation, and he's, he's leaving a message to the church. He's essentially compelling the church to get off their butts. Um, they were lukewarm. He's telling them, get in the game. They were a well-to-do society, had fallen prey to, to the trappings of this world. They, they had means. They were complacent. They were distracted, foolish even. And they had lost their vigor for Christ. Anyone else think this looks way too familiar? Um, to me, as, as I read these verses, I prayed over this, and I, I began con to be somewhat convicted. Um, for me, it looks an awful lot like the American church today. Have we lost our first love? Have we taken our eye off the ball? See, as Christians, we're supposed to be a people set apart. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be different. Unfortunately, what I see in, in many of us, and, and trust me, I've had these conversations with myself this week. Um, don't, don't hear me shaming you or, or us as a church. But in many instances, what I see is is relatively indistinguishable from the secular world. Christian people looking an awful lot like those who aren't followers of Christ. We've taken our eye off the ball. Years ago, um, I was privileged enough to go to a big mega church in Memphis, um, Bellevue Baptist, and um, Adrian Rogers um, was, was the pastor there at the time. And, and if you're not familiar with Adrian Rogers, go to loveworthfinding.org. It's, it's fantastic. Um, all his old messages. Um, this is not a paid advertisement. Um, but do yourself a favor. Go find it. But he gave a message. And I, Chad, you may actually remember this. Um, this was PK for, for Kim and I, so pre-kids. Um, and I think it was, it was an Easter service. And... And the setup of the service was, and the, 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 the tone of the message was, if I were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? And we can all break out our, our legalistic checklists and say, yeah, I'm, I'm in church on Sundays, and um, yeah, I, I tithe. Um, I do this, I do that. No, that's not the point here. Um, ultimately, we're forced to kind of answer that question for ourselves, and I'm not asking anybody to fess up anything. Um, is my life distinguishable from someone who doesn't know Christ? I'm, I'm here today asking these questions, but ultimately it doesn't matter. But guys, as I, as I contemplated this, as I, as I prayed about this, I came to one conclusion for myself. I want my life to count for something different. To count for something other than myself. 
I've spent way too much time in my own life. Building up treasures here on earth. I want something different. I want something different for us. So I think we, I ask these questions of myself, but ultimately, as I said, it doesn't matter. What I say, what is he saying to you today? We've all got to answer that question. What's Jesus asking of you in your life? We're supposed to be a city set on a hill, the light of the world. We get to participate in his kingdom building. Is it time for a course correction for you today? Is God asking something of you that you're uncomfortable with? Good. That's where real growth happens. That's where change happens when we're, we're pressed against. And ultimately, it's, it's then and only then where we find where God and who God truly is. And if that's you today, that's okay. I know someone who's in the redemption business. His name is Jesus. Repent, as the scripture says, and make that course correction today. It's never too late. Return to your first love. But if, if these verses in John, and we're actually going to get to those verses in John, if those verses in John 44 through 50 are relevant for the non-Christian, or yeah, for, for us as Christians, and no doubt they are, there's even more relevance and application for the unbeliever. Verse 46 says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Once again, we see Jesus return to the familiar theme of comparing light and darkness, the believer and the unbeliever, his word for us or his life for us and what the world offers. John 10, 10 says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He continues this theme in, in uh, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and has not overcome it. First John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness. And finally, John 12, 35 through 36. This is part of the passages that Justin preached for us last week, which is ultimately just a continuation of the same conversation that Jesus was having. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He's calling them away from the world. He's telling them you're missing out on the best part of the, the best stuff life has to offer. And you see references like this. Um, throughout Scripture, even going back to the Old Testament, Jesus is compelling them to come out of the darkness. Come to me. The emphasis was on faith. In the last 14 verses of, of John, you see the word believe used eight different times. 
Why is that? Because Jesus ultimately understands the consequences of unbelief. It's judgment. Verses 47 and 48 go on to say, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. But what? To save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on what? The last day. Our time is finite, folks. The very words, and this is humbling, the very words that an unbeliever rejects become their judge. Jesus said, I came to save the world, but when you turn from me and my word, unfortunately there's consequences. And, and why is that? Because ultimately the, the written word, the gospel, points to the living word, Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says that, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're here today, and your response is, Tad, I hear you, but I just can't get there. Why is that? I've heard a lot of different responses to that. Um, some question the, the validity of the gospel, but the preponderance of the evidence, if you're really objectively looking at it, it's really difficult to look at any objective standard and say what's in, well, I used to say this book, now I say in this iPad, um, but what's in the book isn't true. By any objective standard, it's, it's extremely difficult to get there. So then it comes down to our own pride, our own flesh that pushes back against the truth of the gospel. It requires a certain amount of humility to, to recognize that I need help. If that's here, you here today, I want to remind you, we've all got one problem. It's sin. We don't meet the standard for entry into the club. But he does. Romans 3.23 says, for all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 6.23 goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing you can do to earn his grace and forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of works. It is a gift of God. We all have to come to that conclusion for ourselves. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I beg you, confess Jesus as your Savior. It's the best decision you could ever make. I can't describe it to you. I can, only, I can only tell you what he's done in my life. It says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. 
If I could do that for you, I would. But I can't. I stand here today knowing that that Christ sent me here today to tell you, you need a Savior. And it's Jesus. Last thing I'd say is one our old pastor used to say, if I had a thousand lives to give, I'd give them all to Jesus. We're going to do communion here in just a moment, um, as we do every week. And and this time is really for the believer. Um, We're going to have two stations, one here, one there. You'll come down the outside, grab the elements, um, come up the aisle. Um, if If you're not a believer, we ask you not to partake. But this time is not lost on you. Um, at the end of communion, the band will begin to play. Um, I'm going to be standing back there at that, that prayer tent or that prayer banner. I'd love to pray with you. If the Lord's put something on your heart and you're not sure if you're a Christian, please don't leave here today without talking to someone. Randy's up front here. He's usually standing at the back. Dale's here. Um, Justin Kramer's over there. Those are our elders. Um, they would love to pray with you, as would I. If you're a believer, and the Lord's spoken to you here this morning, and you need somebody to pray with you, please allow us to do that. It's one of the beauty, beautiful parts of, of being a part of the body of Christ is we get to lift each other up in prayer and love on each other. Don't leave here today without doing that if that's what you need. I'm going to pray, and then we'll take communion. The band will come up. Father, we love you. Lord, we praise you for who you are, the work that you have done, the work you continue to do. But Lord, my, um, my words are incomplete apart from you. They have no authority. They have no power. We know that power comes from Jesus Christ and his spirit. Father, speak to us. Lord, convict hearts where conviction is necessary. Lord, don't let people leave here today without recognizing their need for you. Lord, I thank you for my church. I thank you for the people that you have given us. Lord, I thank you most of all for your son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.